If you have the notes, you can read with me from Deuteronomy 19. We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 13. Deuteronomy 19, verse 1 to verse 13. So today we're going to continue after a three weeks break our um, study on the shadows of Golgotha. Again, we are going through the Old Testament and we are studying um, pictures of the cross of Christ throughout the Old Testament. Again, I want to show you guys that the cross is the very focal point for God's plan of salvation to the human race, to the falling mankind throughout, not just New Testament, but throughout eternity and throughout the scripture. Amen? We have arrived to uh, Deuteronomy 19. I think that's the only sermon we're going to have in the book of Deuteronomy. So I'm going to read from 19.1 to, to 13, and I'm going to read from the New American Standard Bible. It's just captured a couple of sentences better than the NIV. So I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Here's what, um, this is Moses now and he's talking to the children of Israel and here's what he's saying when the Lord your God cuts off the nations whose land the Lord your God gives you and you dispossesses them and settle in their cities and in their houses you shall set aside three cities for yourself in the midst of your land which the Lord your God gives you to possess you shall prepare the roads. Look at this verse, very important. You shall prepare the Lord, the, the roads um, for yourself and divide into three parts the territory of your land which the Lord your God will give you as a position so that any manslayer may flee there. Verse 4, now this is the case of the manslayer who may flee there and live. When he kills his friend, this is the key word right here, unintentionally, not hating him previously. Verse 5, between these practices, kind of like uh, uh, an interceptory thought. So we read it, verse 5. As when a man goes into the forest with his friend to cut wood, and his hand swings the axe to cut down the tree, and the iron head slips off the handle and strikes his friend so that he dies. So God elaborating here on that part, the very end of verse 4, when he said, kill unintentionally, so he gave an example. And then uh, God said in the rest of verse uh, 5, uh, alright, um, I lost my line, uh, and the iron head swing off the handle and strikes his friend so that he dies, he may flee to one of these cities and live. Verse 6, otherwise the avenger of the blood might pursue the manslayer in the heat of his anger and overtake him because the way is long and take his life. Though he was not deserving of death since he had not hated him previously. Verse 7, therefore I command you saying you shall set aside three cities for yourself. Verse 8, if the Lord your God enlarges your territory, uh, uh, just as he had sworn to your fathers and give you all the land which he promised to give your fathers, then you shall add three more cities for yourself. Beside these three, I'm, we're going to explain all of that in a minute. So innocent blood will not be shed in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God gives you 
as an inheritance, and the blood guiltness be on you. Verse 11. But if, if there is a man who hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him and rises up against him and strikes him so that he dies and he flees to one of these cities, then the elders of the city shall send and take him from there and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of the blood that he may die. You shall not pity him, but you shall purge the blood of the innocent from Israel, that it may go well with you. Amen? Amen. Alright, so let me just give you a little bit of a background, and then we're going to dig deeper into that text to see how is that a picture of, uh, of Christ. As you probably all know, um, God sent Moses uh, to take the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. They were slaves there for 400 years. And God sent Moses and he took the whole nation out of the land of Egypt. And the, the, the promise, the plan was that Moses will lead the children of Israel into the land of the promise. That was the original plan, right? And then... If you, I'm not sure if you know how Palestine or Israel looks like, but there is a river in the middle called the River Jordan. And if you know, I should have a map so you can see it, but uh, Egypt, where the children of Israel were, they were Egypt is into the west, uh, actually east, west. Yes, west, west. west, right? Egypt was west into the yeah, to Israel and Jordan. So they were going east. They all got out of Egypt and everybody was going east. And then they got into uh, the river Jordan and there Moses sinned against God and God forbade him from, from, using the, from leading the children of Israel and entering into the promised land. But at the very uh, side of that river Jordan, Moses stood there, the promised land is across the river, and two, actually two and a half tribes decided that they don't want to go into that promised land. They want to stay on that side of the river Jordan. That will be uh, Reuben and, uh, I wrote them here, Reuben, Gad, and half tribe of Manasseh. The reasons why these two and a half tribes didn't want to cross the river Jordan and into the promised land and stay on the other side of the river Jordan is because they had a lot of livestock, a lot of sheep and, and cattle and that land on the side of River Jordan was better for them. So Moses was not happy with that because he was under the, the, the direction from God that all the tribes, the 12 of them, should cross the River Jordan and go into the Promised Land. But eventually uh, they promised that they're going to help militarily to help the other tribes settle into the Promised Land. God gave Moses the permission and they settled this way. So you have two and a half tribes on one side of the River Jordan and the rest of the tribes actually cross the river with the assistance of the two and a half tribes to possess the Promised Land. Amen? Now, that's at this point when two and a half tribes have already settled, okay, and the rest of the ten and a half tribes are yet to own the, the promised land, that's pretty much when the book of Deuteronomy took place. The whole book of Deuteronomy is really kind of like a review. The whole book is pretty much um, kind of a sermon or a talk by Moses, almost the whole book, and he's just reviewing with the children of Israel the law of God and their journey throughout Exodus, Numbers, and Leviticus. So he's going through these books, reviewing some of the laws, and reviewing their journey. So that's precisely the context of this 
passage that we just read. It's part of the book of Deuteronomy where Moses is reviewing a law that God has given already the children of Israel in the book of Numbers chapter 35. We're going to read about that. That's why before when they settled, when these two and a half tribes settled on the side of River Jordan, God commanded them that they can set aside cities and they call it the cities of refuge. Okay? Now, remember with me, the, the tribe of Levi did not own any land, right? This tribe was set aside to minister to the kingdom of God and the, the tabernacle. So they did not own any land. The, the land was divided among the 12 other tribes, right? Yeah. You guys follow me? Why? Because Joseph has two children who has two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. So there are technically 13 tribes, but Levi did not own any land, so that brings us back to 12 tribes. You guys follow me so far? So God commanded that the Levites should not have any position, any land, because the Lord himself is their position. So where are they going to live? Where would the Levites live? God commanded that the other 12 tribes will give the Levites 48 cities. This is Levitical cities. So that the Levites can live within these 48 cities and they have territory around each one of these cities. That's, that's how the tribe of Levi lived. So they pretty much scattered throughout the land and that makes sense because they're ministered to God so they everyone kind of ministered to the, the area that they, live, that they live in. You guys follow me so far? So that is 48 cities that God has commanded to give to the tribe of Levi. Out of these 48 cities for Levi, God has commanded that six out of these cities will be called cities of refuge. So these are cities that belong to the tribe of Levi that God set aside six out of the 48 so they can be called cities of refuge. Remember again the context, two and a half tribes have settled on one side of the Jordan and the rest of the tribes are yet to cross that, um, that Jordan to possess the promised land. That's why if you go with me to that passage and read with me um, verse uh, 8, remember two and a half tribes settled and they have three cities on that side of River Jordan and the rest is to cross the River Jordan to possess the rest of the, the promised land. Verse 8, if the Lord your God enlarges your territory just as he sworn to your father and gives you all the land which he has promised to give your fathers, then you shall add how much? Three more cities. What does that mean? Three more cities. Because they have three cities among these six already at one side of the, of the Jordan. And now when they cross for the eleven and a half tribes to possess the promised land, then they are to set extra three more cities. Put the total to six. Three on one side and three on the other side. So you guys follow me so far? Okay, clear? Alright, so that's pretty much the, the story here. That's the context. And God said, you said six cities from the 48 cities that belong to Levi to be cities of refuge. Three on one side and three on the other side. And here is what God said. The law works like this. If accidentally a person killed somebody without meaning. And God gave us an example for that. Two people in the field, they, you know, working on the land, tilling the land. And all of a sudden, the, the iron head of 
of the axe fly out and it hits somebody's head, they fall down dead. He didn't mean to do it, it's just an accident. If, if an accident like this happened, no intentions and no hate, then the, the one who accidentally killed his friend can run to one of these cities of refuge and stay there. If you go back to the book of Numbers, you'll see that uh, that's the guy with the air condition. Yeah, I got it. That's um, God has commanded that um, if that the guy would stay there, the, the, the one who murdered his friend, who killed his friend accidentally, that he can go into one of these cities and stay there till the high priest dies. And after the high priest dies, he's free to leave that city of refuge and go back to his homeland. We read that particular provision in the book of Numbers, but Moses did not review it here. Okay? So that's the whole story. Now, if somebody kills a person intentionally, then God said there is no escape for that person. Amen? This person must be killed back because he has murdered intentionally. God said even if the one who killed intentionally will run into the city of refuge, then the leaders of that city should deliver him up so he can be murdered because he has killed intentionally. Amen? So that's the law and that's the context. Clear so far? Yeah. Alright, so let's talk about that and see how is that a picture of Christ. Actually, the author of Hebrews kind of like alluded to that a little bit as this can be a picture of Jesus. When in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 verse I think 18, here is what he said about Christ. He said, we have fled to take hold of the hope that is set before us. Even though it's not explicit, and you don't have to agree that this is a reference to the cities of refuge, it might be an illusion that the author of Hebrews, when he described us as believers, he said that, that uh, we fled just like people in the Old Testament will flee to the city of refuge, and just like people in the Old Testament will take refuge in that city, so we also did take refuge in Christ. Again, it's an illusion. It can be true. It cannot be true. You don't have to agree with me on this one. Amen? Alright. Now let's move forward and see how is this story and that provision in the law of God is a picture of, 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 of Christ, of the cross, of the blood of Jesus that we have been talking about. We can find three lessons that we can learn from that story that resemble the New Testament, God's way of salvation through the blood and the resurrection of Christ. We learn three lessons. We learn number one, God's judgment on sin. Number two, God's heart for the sinner. And number three, God's plan of salvation. Let's say it together so I know you follow me. Number one, we learn about God's judgment on sin. But number two, we learn about God's heart for the sinner. And number three, we learn about God's plan of salvation. Let's learn about God's judgment on sin. We read, I think it was verse four. God said, if somebody kills Anna intentionally without hating his brother, then he has that provision that he can run and take refuge in the city of refuge. Amen? But what if somebody kills intentionally? What if somebody actually meant to do it? Did God, has, did God provide a way for them to escape the judgment and the wrath and the killing that they rightly deserve? No. As a matter of fact, God said, even if they do run to the city of refuge, deliver them up so they can be murdered and don't even pity them because they have sinned and they have broken my law. Amen? Amen. What do we learn from this? God is going 
to judge sin. You hear me? God is going to judge sin. You heard me? God is going to judge sin. God is holy and He's not going to tolerate or accommodate sin in any way or shape or form. Buckle up. This is not good. Ecclesiastics 12.14. Look at what the scripture says. This is the Bible. God's word. For God will bring how much? How many works? 90% of the works, God said, right? Every single work into judgment including what every secret thing so even if you do something in secret and nobody saw what you did guess what God will bring that every work you did into judgment including the ones that nobody has ever seen that's not good whether good or evil that the, the Solomon said that God will bring every work even the secret things into judgment but it gets actually worse. It's not just every work, bad work you do, God will judge you for it. Matthew 12, 36. Now this is Jesus. And look what he said. But I say to you that every what? Idol. Idol word. Men may speak. They will give an account for it in the day of judgment. This is bad for me. I say a lot of idol words. But this is scary. This is not just every bad work you do is not just when you kill and steal and manipulate and cheat and even nobody noticed that God will judge you for that even when you say idle word it doesn't even to be a, a bad evil word just idle not very beneficial not very good God will bring this very word into judgment in the day of judgment isn't that crazy Yes. Every evil work, every evil word, and not only that, look at Romans 2.16. Now Paul is speaking and he says, In the day when God will judge what? The secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Secrets, anything secret. Even your secret thought, God will bring into judgment on the day of judgment. Isn't that scary? Yeah. Crazy. God will judge every secret. Actually, the Greek word for word secret here is kryptos, from which we get the, the English word crypt or encrypted. You know what, what Paul is telling us here? The stuff that you encrypted so that nobody will figure out what that was. The secretive stuff that only you know about it. God will bring every secret thought, every, every secret action into judgment when he judged people by Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, think about it. Jesus is not going to say, if you look lustfully after a woman, you are as bad as an adulterer in my eyes. And then at the end of the day, when we all stand, when sinners stand before him for judgment, he is not going to count looking lustfully as a sin. Right? Jesus is not going to give you a law that he's not going to enforce. Right? So even the sinful thoughts that you think in your mind, without even acting on it, God will bring that to judgment in the day of judgment. Amen? God will judge sin. Amen? This is no joke. This is something not, God cannot tolerate or accommodate. Sin is something that God absolutely hates and He will judge every evil work. God will judge every evil word and God will judge every evil thought. Look at this. Luke 8, 17. This is Jesus. For nothing in secret that will not be revealed, nor anything heaven that will, hidden that will not be known and come to light. 
How much? Jesus said, nothing. Absolutely nothing that you have done in secret that he's not going to hold you accountable for. Amen? Whether it's an evil work deed, whether it's an evil word that you say, whether it's an evil thought you have, Jesus will hold you accountable for this. Amen? It makes sense. If God is so holy and so pure, that means He has to judge the smallest and the lightest of all sins. Because for, for Him, because He's so holy and so pure, this is still very wicked and very evil. Amen? We read that. This is bad news, even for me. I don't want my secrets to be revealed. I have a lot of bad secrets I don't want people to know. Right? But this is crazy. But this is true. This is true. This is how God will judge sin. Every hidden thing, He will judge us for it. Because He's so holy and so pure. And it's probably the right time for you now to get scared and worried for your eternal life. Because it is a scary thing. We see that God will judge sin. Even the smallest sin that you even thought about in your brain that nobody knew about. God will judge that. Amen? In the Old Testament, in our story, there is absolutely no redemption if you kill intentionally. It's only if you kill unintentionally, without meaning, that was the provision for you. Amen? But if you sin willingly against the law of God, there is absolutely nothing left for you except the judgment of God. Amen? Amen. We see that God will judge sin. But in that beautiful story, we see the heart of God for those who commit sins. Amen? Look at this. God actually, look, God went above and beyond kind of our story to make sure that if somebody kills unintentionally, he have the way out. Amen? Let me show you what God commanded. Number one, this story, this provision about the cities of refuge was mentioned three times in the, God made an allusion to it in the book of Exodus, but it really was mentioned explicitly three times in the New Testament, in, in, the, in the Old Testament. It was mentioned the first time in Numbers 35. And then we have our story here in Deuteronomy 19, where Moses is repeating that provision. And then we read in the book of Joshua, after Moses died and the children of Israel crossed the river, uh, the river Jordan, that God came back to Joshua and reminded him about these cities of refuge. Look with me in Joshua 21-2. And the Lord also spoke to, spoke to Joshua and saying, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourself three, uh, the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you three, through Moses. So God, just in case they forget, came again to Joshua and told him, Don't you dare to forget about these cities of refuge. Amen? How many of you guys know that when God says something once, that's important? How many of you know that if God said it twice, that's extremely important, right? And that's what we see here. God did not just say once and then he, you know, hopefully he'll take care of that. When they crossed the river, God came back the second time to Joshua and he said, Make sure you don't forget. Here's the, uh, the map. Thanks, Wayne. God said, Make sure that you don't forget about the cities of refuge because that's God's heart. You see God's heart through his commandments. Amen? But not only that, if you go back with me to verse 3, Deuteronomy 19.3, God says, You shall prepare the roads to the cities of refuge. Amen? God said you might sure that you pave the way and make it as smooth as possible into the cities of refuge. Why? Why would God care so much about preparing the roads and paving it out to the city of refuge? Why? Because God is concerned.
concerned, he's worried that if somebody accidentally killed somebody and he's running into the city of refuge and the avengers of the blood is running after him, that there might be a road or a block or a ditch or something that will trip the person who accidentally killed his friend and then the avenger of the blood he will catch him and kill him. And God doesn't want that to happen. So he said, make sure your roads are paved. You make sure your roads are smooth so the one who accidentally killed will have no hindrance whatsoever to run into the cities of refuge. Amen? Amen. And not only that, if you go back to verse 3 of Deuteronomy 19, Moses said, uh, obviously under the supervision of God, you need to divide the land as much as you possibly can into three even parts. And you make sure there is one city of refuge in each part of your land. I.e. God is saying, make sure that the cities of refuge, I think that's them, make sure that the cities of refuge as much as possible evenly distributed throughout the land. Why? God explains that to us in verse 6. If you go back to Deuteronomy 19.6, He said, Otherwise the avenger of the blood might pursue the manslayer in the heat of his anger and overtake him because the way is long and take his life. So God said, make sure that these cities are evenly distributed throughout the land, just in case the road, if all the cities are up north and this incident happened down south, then the manslayer has to run the whole way and there's a higher chance of the avenger of the blood to come after him and catch him, right? So God said, make sure it's evenly distributed so he, that the manslayer will have a fair chance to run and take refuge in that city of refuge. Amen? And make sure one, three on one side, three on the other side, that shows us the heart of God. Amen? Yes. What that tells us about God? That He's not willing that the manslayer should be killed. Amen? It's His heart for the manslayer to live and not to die. Amen? Amen. And that is the exact same God whom we're talking about in the New Testament. The exact same God that Peter talked about and he said that God is not willing that how many should perish? That none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen? That's right. Do you see the heart of God? We're talking Old Testament, folks. We're not talking New Testament. We're talking the Old Testament. And you see the heart of God that He's not willing that none should perish. He goes above and beyond to make sure that the manslayer will be rescued and has a fair chance to run into that city of refuge and be saved. Amen? Amen. I have been with you now for almost two years. Uh, over two years. And I remember uh, two years ago when I came to you guys here, I preached in... in, in in February and then I came back and started my full-time job in with you guys or my part-time job in in April so there was a two time two month gap between my first time came here until I actually start working here I'm not sure if any of you remember that but if anyone remembers what was the sermon I preached that February I, I, I did it on purpose and I'm not sure if you remember it which is good so I can preach it again but um, I spoke with you from Ezekiel 18 and it's on our website as well. Ezekiel 18, and the title of the sermon, when God talked to Ezekiel, and he said, As I live, says the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked will turn and come back to me and live. And that's the verse I spoke with you from that very first time. And it shows us the heart of God as he lived, as I live, says God. I take no pleasure that the sinner will die and perish, but that he will come and be saved through me. Amen. 
Amen. The reason why I chose that verse is I wasn't sure if you guys are going to hire me or not. So I was like, you know what? If I have one shot with these people, if I'm going to share one thing with them and that's it, just in case they don't hire me back, this is the one message that I want to share with them. This is the one point that I want to leave with them. Amen? That there is a God in heaven whose heart is so broken for the lost, so much so that it was far much easier for him to send Jesus and to pour out his wrath on Christ on the cross so that he can spare you and me and every single sinner who doesn't know him from dying and perishing. Amen? If I am to summarize the scripture in one idea, that is it. God's heart is so broken for the lost, so much so that he thought the cross and pouring out his wrath on his own son on the cross is more tolerable than pouring out his wrath on you because you, you earned it. Think about that. Think about that. This is how much God is not willing that none should perish. Think about that. God is so much willing that none should perish that he thought he probably can tolerate pouring out his wrath on Christ on the cross. But he cannot tolerate pouring out his wrath on you for all eternity. Amen? Amen. God's heart is broken for the lost. That, you, that means you, that means me, that means everyone outside our churches who doesn't know Jesus. His heart is aching for them that they might come to know Him. And He made every provision possible that they might come back and find refuge and life in His Son Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let me show you some scriptures in the Old Testament. We're not talking New Testament, okay? We're just going to show you the Old Testament that this is the heart of God from all eternity to all eternity. God did not just become so compassionate all of a sudden in the New Testament and decide to deal with us through the, His grace. Amen? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Look at this. Lamentation 3, 31 to 33. This is what Jeremiah said. For the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitudes of his mercy. Now look, look to this and read it with me. For he does not afflict what? I don't hear you. He does not afflict what? Willingly. When God pours out his judgment on a sinner, he doesn't do it because that's his will. Because that's what he wants. Because that's what he delights in. Because that's what he enjoys. When God afflicts the sinner, it's because they don't give him no option. He's trying to get them saved and they continue on refusing. And they give God no option except that they will be punished. And even when God does that, how does he do it? He doesn't honor willingly. Why? Because his heart is for the lost, for life, and not for death. Amen? Amen. Jeremiah 31.20 Is Ephraim my dear son? That's a rhetorical question. Ephraim was sinning. They're not God's favorite kid. Okay? They have been doing everything wrong in God's eyes. Is Ephraim my dear son? The obvious answer is no. Is he a pleasant child? No, he's a disobedient, stubborn, hard-hearted, stuffed-necked child. God doesn't like him, amen, very much. But look at this. For though I spoke against him, even though God said, I already pronounced judgment on him. For though I speak against him or spoke against him, earn 
earnestly remember him still. Even though I said I would punish him, yet there's just part of me can't do it. I still remember him. I still earnestly remember him. Therefore, look at this. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. My affections longs to him. God, he doesn't deserve it. This is a stubborn, sinful child who's keep on sinning against you. And God said, yes, even though I pronounce judgment on him, yet my heart and my affection still for him, that he will come back and live and that he won't die. This is the heart of God, people. Amen? This is the Old Testament. We're not talking New Testament. We're talking Old Testament. Amen? Yes. Isaiah 28, 21. I'm reading this from the NIV. The Lord will rise up. This is God will rise up to judge. This is His judgment. The Lord will rise up as He did on Mount Perizim. He will rouse Himself as in the valley of Gibeon. That's when God executed judgment. And look how the Bible described the judgment of God. To do His work. What kind of work? His strange work and perform His task. His what? Alien task. The Bible tells us that judgment and pouring out His wrath is the foreign thing to the nature of God. Because the nature of God toward us is love, mercy, and grace, not judgment and wrath. Yes, He will do it. We just read that He will judge every single evil thought that you have. So it's not that He will do it, right? But it is not what He wants to do. You guys follow me? God will judge sin, but his heart is broken for every single sinner in our world. And he's not willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's what we see in the cities of refuge. God's judgment on sin. God's heart for the sinner. But number three, God's plan of salvation. We'll read about that in, in Numbers 35, 26, 28, 26 to 28. It's more explicit in the book of Numbers. Let's read it together. But if a manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the cities of refuge where he fled, okay, so he's inside. If he ever leaves that city and the avenger of the blood finds him outside the limits of the city of his city of refuge and the avenger of the blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood because he should have remained in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But, uh, but after the death of the high priest, the manslayer might return to the land of his position. Do you guys see that? So if a manslayer accidentally kills his friend, he's going running to the cities of refuge and he is to stay there till the high priest dies. And if he ever dared to leave the cities of refuge and the manslayer will find him while the high priest is still alive, he can kill him and he will not be held accountable for it. Amen? What is the Bible trying to tell us here? That the manslayer will find no peace. The manslayer will find no life except when he is in the cities of refuge. Amen? You step one foot under out of the cities of refuge and you are in deep trouble. Amen? Because God, in a way, trying to tell us that his wrath over the, the wrath of the avenger of the blood, who can kill the manslayer and is not going to be held accountable for it. Remember, let me pause here. Let's go back. If the manslayer if the avenger of the blood catches the manslayer before he gets to the city of refuge and kills him, he's not going to be held accountable, right? And if he kills, if the avenger of the blood finds the manslayer outside the city of refuge and kills him because he left the manslayer, then the avenger of the blood is not going to be held accountable, right? 
Do you guys see the point? The point is that, that death can chase the manslayer everywhere and any time and the manslayer should not even find any peace except when he is in the gates of the city of refuge. Amen? If you're inside the city of refuge, you can sleep with, with full peace because you know that the avenger of the blood can never come to, to get you. Amen? And if you're outside the city of refuge, it doesn't matter if you're an iron you know, locked room, you still are in danger because if the avenger of the blood finds you, he can kill you and he's not going to be held accountable. Amen? And that's a picture of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Amen? Yeah. You see, we have sinned against the holy and the righteous God and we are rightly under his judgment and under her wrath. We deserve it. We have no complaint about that. We deserve it. But God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And Jesus shed his blood and he took the wrath of God upon himself. And today, if you and me, if you are not right with God, if you just can run and take refuge of Jesus who took your judgment and your wrath on the cross, then you will be saved from the wrath of God. Amen? But if you're not in Christ Jesus, then you are under the wrath of God and you should be scared for your life every single moment. Because the wrath of God can come and take over you any given second. And this should be right. There's no problem there. Amen? Amen. We saw pictures like that throughout the Old Testament. And we talked already about it. Remember the Ark of Noah? The judgment of God, the flood will come. And only those who are in the Ark are safe. Amen? And those who are outside the Ark are dead right and we talked about this and we saw this is a picture of Jesus who can take the wrath of God upon himself yet he shelter us from the very judgment of God amen? amen we saw a picture like that on the Passover story where where the angel of death will passing through the land God himself will passing through the land to execute judgment and if there is blood on the top of that post and on the door lentils then yeah. those who are shielded inside the blood marked house they are safe from the wrath of God. Amen? And those who are inside houses that is not marked by the blood, they will be judged. Amen? And the firstborn will die. And we talked about this. This is a picture of Christ who died on the cross. He took upon himself the judgment and the wrath of God. And today, if you take refuge in the blood of Jesus, the wrath of God will pass over you. Amen? Yes. But if you refuse to say to do so, you're on your own, pal. Amen? I don't recommend it, but you're on your own. Well, see, John spoke about that blindly, like boldly and point blank. And he said in John 3, 36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God shall abide on him. I don't think the Bible can be any clearer than that. Amen? And just as clear as it gets. If you believe in Christ, if you take refuge in Christ today, He is your city of refuge who will guard you from the wrath that you deserve. But if you don't, you're on your own. Amen? Let me just close with this analogy. Let's say it was me during that time. And I accidentally killed somebody. And I know that the closest city of refuge doesn't have Starbucks. And I love Starbucks, I tell you. I love Starbucks. And I was thinking to myself, my gosh, what I'm going to like, let's say we're in the field. That incident happened. The iron axe fled and hit somebody. 
I, I'm just I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do now? If I run to the city of refuge, they don't have Starbucks, I'm going to be miserable. Let me uh, swing by the closest store. I'll buy an espresso machine, get myself a few pounds of coffee, and just, you know, put it in my bag and just uh, go quickly to the city of refuge. Do you think I will do that? I'll be an idiot if I do that, right? <laughs> I'll be stupid if I do that. I'll tell you what I would do. I'll tell you what I would do. If I see the axe flying and hitting somebody in the head, I don't even wait to check if they're alive or not, right? They might be still alive and well and nothing happened. I won't care. What I would do is I would just take off running to the closest cities of refuge, right? Because I don't want to take a chance that I might die because of something I didn't mean to, right? Right? And when I am running there, I don't care if I'm hungry, I don't care if I'm thirsty, I don't care if I didn't have any coffee, I don't care about nothing, there's only one thing that I'm thinking about. I'm not going to stop to take a break, I'm going to take off running, and I'm not going to stop running till I run into the city of refuge. Why? Because I know that every single second I spend outside the doors of that city, my life is in danger. Amen? Right. But it's only when I am inside that city, then I am safe, and I, nobody can come after me. Amen? Amen? Yes. Now think about this. Today, if you're not right with God, you're just like that manslayer. You are not right with God and the wrath of God can come and take you out in any single second. And guess what? If that happens, then you receive rightly what is yours. Amen? I give you a piece of advice, please do it. If you don't know Jesus today, if you're not sure that you have eternal life, you better run and you better run fast and you better repent as soon as possible and go and run and take refuge of the blood in the blood of Jesus from the wrath of God. That's the only place where you're going to be safe and sound from the judgment that you rightly deserve. Amen? Amen. I won't let anything hold me back. Amen? Whatever holds you back, just tear it apart and leave it and just run and take refuge today in the blood of Jesus. Amen? Okay, let's all close our eyes and pray.